You're listening to On the Vine, a podcast about Ivy League basketball, brought to you by IvyHoopsOnline.com. All right, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of On the Vine, a podcast about Ivy League basketball, brought to you by IvyHoopsOnline.com. It's getting down to the thick of it. We only have two more days of regular season Ivy League basketball, and then we got the tournament. Yes. But finally, it's happening. The tournament will be next weekend, uh, and then we get into March Madness with all of its attendant uh, excitement. And we're here to get you all set up for that. So uh, I'm Peter Andrews, your host, and I'm joined this week by a fantastic panel of uh, people uh, of you know various degrees of skill. I am the least skilled, and then we work <laughs> up. Mike Tony is my co-host. He's the editor-in-chief of Ivy Hoops Online. Mike, how are you going? Good. I, I'm far beneath you, Peter, but I know you're excited to root for Harvard Saturday night, so let's get this ball rolling. The enemy of my enemy is still temporarily, is still bad, but I guess I'll root for them. Uh, we're joined, as always, by the toothless tiger himself, George Clark. George, how are you? I'm fine, Peter. It's great to be with you again. How ironic. Princeton has a chance to win the Ivy League title outright and must nevertheless go to the palestra to get a bid. It's sad, but that's the way it is. A wistful moment there from George Clark. And then we have a F- Ivy Hoops Online writer, his first time appearing on the podcast, though, so that means he's really made it, uh, covering Columbia, Ian Wenick. Ian, welcome to the show. Good evening. I'm no Carl Bagheras today, but I'll do my best. <laughs> and then our final <laughs> panelist... Uh, <laughs> Our final panelist this evening, he is a uh, covers Princeton for the Ivy League Digital Network, where he's a commentator on the on the games. He'll also be providing supplemental coverage of the tournament this weekend, which we'll get into later on in the program, because I think a lot of people are curious about how the Ivy League is going to make this such a interesting event. He's Noah Savage. Welcome to the program, Noah. Thanks for having me. Uh, and let's get right to Princeton because we have a lot of Princeton representation on the call. The Tigers improved to 12, and we will get to obviously Penn Columbia. Uh, we'll get to that very shortly. But I want to, I think it's important that we give our due to the Tigers who clinched uh, at least a share of the regular season title. And they clinched uh, a share of the number one, possibly just a share of the number one seed. Tiebreakers make it very hard to keep track of everything. Uh, so our two Princeton panelists, we have George and Noah. Uh, big weekend for you guys, traveling on the road in New York, and two very convincing wins. Um, how did the weekend break down for Princeton? Let me George. defer. <laughs> no, I'm going to defer to you. No, you're the former right. captain of Princeton basketball. We'd all love to hear your perspective. Absolutely. Well, you know, the thing about Princeton is that they've really, like, mastered what they focus on, which is that they don't foul. They focus on contesting every pass, getting steals to a point where it's really frustrating for the other team to even initiate your offense. And and they make threes and they defend the three. And if you looked at any of their games over the last maybe like, you know, I don't know, 15 that they won in a row, that's what they do. You can't throw it in the post against them. You can't move the ball easily. They play guys 6-4 to about 6-8. Um, so they switch four and they switch five. And that's what I see out of them is, is everything that Coach Henderson uh, is stressing, they've really become masters of. 
Oh, I I agree wholeheartedly with that assessment. And and I've said it before, and let me say it once again, this season turned around uh, beginning at Bucknell in December, and it's no coincidence that uh, Princeton started to play very, very well when Miles Stevens started to get a lot of minutes. And uh, having watched virtually every game, and most of them in person, Miles Stevens has been the most consistent player on the best team in the league. Uh, I think he has a decent shot at defensive player of the year. I think he should be considered uh, for first team all Ivy. Uh, and uh, you cannot underrate or underestimate his ability on offense. He's a 40% shooter from three. He's a 55% shooter from the field overall. Uh, and he shuts down wh- whomever he is guarding. And usually it's somebody on the other team who's very, very good. So uh, I'm just a, Huge Miles Stevens fan, uh, and I'm looking for another big weekend from from him. So Columbia uh, in that Friday night game only put up 45 points of total offense, and while some of that might be due to problems with the Lions, um, the, this Princeton defense is, can be just suffocating. What were they doing so well on Friday night? I mean, I was just impressed by the way that they were able to contest every single shot. Like, you look in the first half, Mike Smith, he was the only player on Columbia that was able to operate with any sort of efficiency. I think he had 11 points. And every time he tried to penetrate into the paint, there were at least two prison players right in his face. And I don't think he got a clean look for 20-plus minutes. And I just wanted to go back, talking about Miles Stevens. He was the player that really started the back-breaking run in that game when he rose up out of a crowd, he hit a pretty contested three-pointer, and that started the game-deciding run. And that was followed up by a Kennedy wide-open three-pointer. They repeated that trick. Stevens on the 3-1 series, then Kennedy another. They pulled that off two or three times in that run. And it just shows how dangerous of a team Princeton can be when it's able to hit three-pointers consistently. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that another guy that really is a similar idea is Amir Bell coming off the bench. He started the season one for 24 from behind the three-point arc, and he shot 55% in league play. So he guy went from he can throw it in the ocean to a guy who, at that clip, if he had more attempts, would be among the league leaders, if not the league leader. And Kennedy was in a horrific shooting slump for about five or six games. And obviously lately he's been absolutely on fire hitting 12 threes over the weekend. Somebody else does it every night. Uh, they came out of reading period, what, what we call reading period, uh, somewhat anachronistically, and went to Dartmouth. Uh, Dartmouth had our feet in the fire. Uh, Spencer Weiss put the team on his back up there, scored 26 or 28 to, uh, when nobody else was doing anything, almost saying, I'm going to, I'll carry it tonight, then you guys help me out tomorrow night. And, they go down to Harvard, and, and Kennedy doesn't score, and they still win. At Cornell the other night, Spencer Weiss missed his first nine field goal attempts. Dark, uh, Cornell had a very good run at us uh, in the first half, uh, and Weiss wasn't doing much at all. However, he finished with seven or eight assists. I think he had four steals and, and uh, several rebounds and played uh, Stone Gettings pretty much to a standstill. My point is somebody else steps up every night for this 
for this team. Uh, it's been a pleasure to watch. Uh, and let's just hope that uh, with everything on the line over the weekend, uh, they can they can continue this great run. Tough game tomorrow night with Harvard. That's for sure. Yeah, but if they lose tomorrow night, George, is it the worst thing in the world? It's not. It's absolutely. You know? It's no. I agree. It's <laughs> not the worst thing in the world, except you don't want to lose to a very hot team in your house a week before you'll have to go down there and play them again. Uh, so in that sense, there's a lot riding on it. Yeah, and it's almost like we asked Judson Wallace at a, on a halftime interview, "How would you feel having to play Penn potentially at home in a tournament situation?" And his answer was kind of like reveals how players think, where he goes, well, they beat them by like 25 at home last time, so I'd feel pretty happy about playing them. So I think you have a point. It's not about the streak. It's about if Harvard just beats you, then you, then, then you have that in the back of your mind that losing is an option. But I think if you're rolling, you think you're invincible. So is it, is it tough, though, for Princeton? Uh, you know, Princeton is now the first team that's clinched a, uh, a share of the regular season title, and you know, Harvard still has an outside chance to do so. Um, but they're the first team to clinch a share of the regular season title in Ivy history that has not immediately gone to at least, at the very least, a tiebreaker for the auto bid. Is it uh, bittersweet at all for the Tigers to have put together this incredible run uh, and yet not have the same benefits that it would have would have had in the past? Or do you think that they've sort of made their peace with it? You know, I thought that, and that's how I kind of know I'm making the transition to a member of the press rather than a player. But when we had Mitch Henderson on post game after they clinched uh, the title last weekend, or at least, you know, a share, he was so ecstatic that I think that that's kind of a made up narrative. I think for the players and for the coaches, a 14 game season is still going to be really meaningful. And there's no bitter side to it. They consider it as they've won one championship. Now the tournament is a second championship. That's kind of gravy on top. What do you think, George, or anybody else? Well, I I agree that, uh, it, that that that's the way you have to look at it if you're still involved in it and you're still playing for everything. Uh, but historically, it's just kind of sad that we have a shot to go fourteen and zero and we don't get we don't go anywhere. Well, we don't get to the big dance unless we go sixteen and zero. That's a burden that no one else has ever had to bear, uh, and we have to go we'll probably. We may very well, I'll put it that way, Michael Tony, uh, have to play Penn in the first round. So at their place, which Noah can tell you as well as anyone, anything can happen, and Penn has been playing well uh, recently. So it's it's quite a gauntlet you have to run. I'm very proud of this team, no matter what they do over the weekend. Uh, but it's uh, it's still, we've got two games to go, and five teams have very consequential uh, games to play uh, before this thing plays out. That's certainly the the what everyone envisioned when they came up with this tournament. Uh, and I'm excited as a fan, and I'm just sitting on pins and needles as a Princeton fan. I would so, say that it's. I would say that it's just. I would say that it's kind of disappointing in the sense that you think of the tradition of us getting the auto bid in, but at the same time, the feeling that Princeton fans are having it's not necessarily a unique feeling right now. Like if you're a Vermont fan, your team just went 16 and 0 and now you have to win another three games to get to the tournament. 
Wilmington fans are feeling the same, probably feeling the same way. Um, you can say the same thing about Monmouth. So as disappointing as it is, I mean, the solace you could take is that at least you're not alone. <laughs> Good point, Ian. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, but however, but I mean, a, a, historically, like if you look at, I was just going to make one quick point that if you look up in the rafters at the Yale uh, gymnasium, you see basically championships from last year, a year ago, two years ago, and then 2002, they want to share the championship, and they didn't get into the big dance. They lost in a playoff. This happens, this happens to Ivy League teams as well, and I think if you ask those players who have a share of a championship, that, that is bittersweet. So I think if Princeton does lose, it will be bittersweet. I'm just saying they're not feeling that now. They're only feeling happy about winning. Right. So the rest of the... The rest of the field the principal face, though, still remains to be set, and uh, what really sort of reshaped the race and made it into a race in the final weekend was the Penn-Columbia game from Saturday night. A tight affair. Neither team took more than, I think it was an eight-point lead at any point. Um, Very back and forth, and the Columbia Lions snapped a five-game skid to win a a huge game from their home fans. Uh, Big result for Jim Engels and sort of you know, we can talk. We'll talk in a bit about the tiebreakers as to who controls whose destiny, and whatever. But a uh, big result for Columbia, tough loss for Penn. So I want to start by uh, asking Ian. I believe Ian, you were there. Uh, yes. So, tell, what was it like? What was the talk, talk a little bit about the game? I mean, having been at both the Columbia game on Friday and Saturday, and just seeing the difference in how the offense functioned, it just shows how important. Luke Petrosic is to that team. Now, his influence isn't nearly as outsized as, say, you know, was when Maudo was on the team, but he missed a couple good looks early on in the Princeton game, and was the offense just didn't look the same. But you look at how the team performed on Saturday. I mean, he had 17 points. He was able to hit shots for a bunch of different spots on the floor. He hit a couple threes, which was big for their offense. And it just made the rest of the team better. I mean, they went 10 deep on fr- on Saturday, and everyone contributed. Even Connor Voss, who I had never seen contribute in a major way in a game before. He had one of the best dunks I've ever seen in an Ivy League basketball game when he absolutely facialized. I want to say it was, I think it was Max Rothschild, but I had never seen that before. And... It was very not, impressive. I, just as a general as a general rule, you should not try to get in the way of Connor Voss, who is, uh, you know, like a seven foot tall wrestler man. I would not want to mess with him. No, that was uh, that was not a good that was not a good decision. And I was also impressed by uh, Patrick Tepay. He was really he moved really well on the floor, both on ball and off ball on the offense. He set a number of good screens, and he looked more comfortable in the offense and in the zone defense than I thought a freshman normally would be comfortable in. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, I'm curious because Columbia has had a, does have a reputation of coughing up games down the stretch. And I think you saw that last year, Princeton game, they did it. They've done it before in, in this season and seasons past. What was the, 
you know, then then they in this game they did have they had an eight point lead and they had a long stretch of I think five minutes where they didn't score. Uh, then a Mike Smith step back three kind of gives them the cushion they need and Penn can't quite get a shot off at the end. What was the vibe like in Levian? Did it did it feel like the Lions were coasting right toward a you know t- toward that cliff, uh, or did it feel like they had it in control? See, I didn't really get a sense of that because the crowd was such a almost an even split between Penn fans and Columbia fans. So you didn't get that sense of kind of, I want to say, kind of nausea. Uh, all right, uh, here we go again, because there were so many people cheering for a Penn win. That, that kind of shock that you would be describing in a completely partisan home crowd, it just wasn't there. If anything, the place seemed more deflated when Donahue missed the two looks at the in the last 10 seconds. Any other point in the game? Yeah, big big block by uh, Luke Petrasic, who I thought played with fire uh, for for much of the game. The TV cameras caught him talking smack, which is not a not really a characteristic I strongly associate with Luke Petrasic. Um, Mike, from the Penn perspective, uh, tough loss. Didn't really get going inside the painted area. Didn't really get uh, I thought what you guys wanted from three. Uh, and then the defense was a little bit suspect. Um, how are you feeling after this one? Well, I mean, uh, well, I did say Connor Boss is awesome last week, didn't I? I was, that was not a joke. But looking at, if you break down the stats, uh, and I mentioned this in the Ivy Weekend Roundup and on Twitter after after the game, I really thought that Penn uh, was going to have an advantage uh, in this game, uh, from not only two-point range, but within the paint, uh, certainly Penn was coming off of that uh, uh, huge win Saturday or Sunday afternoon uh, previously at Yale, uh, dominating with points in the paint. And in the previous matchup with Columbia, uh, when Penn won at the Palestra uh, earlier in the Ivy Slate to to kick this whole run off to begin with, uh, it was done with gouging the Lions uh, in the paint. Um, Columbia really just not getting anything uh, from two-point range, and, and Penn really uh, racking it up from there. Penn's shooting, ultimately, uh, was, it's interesting. If you would have told me that Penn would shoot 40% from three uh, and take more threes and, and make more threes than Columbia, I would have expected a Penn win. But that's not that's not quite how it shook out because Columbia, uh, you know, I think they took one fewer three, they made one fewer three, and they were able to pretty much neutralize that point part of the uh, part of the game. And you know, you just have to. Uh, if you're asking me how am I feeling from an Ivy League perspective really good because you want to see Columbia do well. You want this middle-tier team, this middle-tier program uh, in year one under a new coach uh, with a, um, you know, a really good home atmosphere there at Levy, and you what want tier, them to do what well. Tier, what tier do you think Penn is in, Mike? Middle. They're both middle-tier. Okay. I mean, okay. yeah. I mean, they're 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 but don't worry, don't 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 worry, Peter. You you seem a little. You all right? I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's um, 
I I think it's uh, uh there's a there's a certain level of condescension involved in when a when when Penn people talk about schools that are not Penn or Princeton uh, being oh, okay. you know, middle well. tier. Uh, Penn has Penn, as far as I can tell, uh, you know, didn't win 25 games last year or a CIT championship and hasn't been good since before I, you know, knew how to drive. So, uh, you know, I just want to be clear about which programs are actually deserving of, you know, condescension and which are not. That's all. Well, no, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a genuine hope that they can sustain the run that they've had this decade under a new regime. Uh, and if, if they're going to do that, to make it into the tournament, regardless of, of what Jim Engel says about what, you know, how he assesses how successful or, or not successful this season is, uh, at the end of it, uh, whether or not the tournament plays into that assessment or not, you know, you'd like to see them get in. Now, having said that, it would be it would also be a nice story from an Ivy perspective for for uh, a long dormant program, Philly based, with the Palestra for Penn to get in too. Uh, but but regardless, I mean to see Mike Smith score eleven of Columbia's last twenty four points and really take that game on his shoulders late. That's a promising thing to see all these frosh so far. So I'd say, you know, it makes me feel encouraged that the future of Ivy League basketball is, is pretty bright and that that absolutely includes the light blue. Can I ask a question, so uh, Michael? Yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. All right, can I jump in here? What the heck happened to Sam Jones? Like, he played two minutes against Columbia. The guy, the guy's unbelievable, and I feel like when they started playing better, I was seeing him in the box score, hitting threes, he's six, seven. Like, how does a guy like that, who is an Ivy League player of the week, how does he not play at all? I don't get it. He's been, he's been like that his entire career, and I'm sure Ian can speak to this too, but he's, he's always been up and down in terms of production, uh, in terms of minutes. When he... When he exploded uh, against Columbia in their previous meeting, uh, he had uh, had a you know a, a drought before that. I don't really have a uh, uh, a really good answer for that, other than Penn has really been sharpshooter by committee all season uh, this year, and you know it happened to be Jackson Donahue who was hot and uh, was firing threes from everywhere in the first half, made his first four. Uh, it's been Ryan Bentley uh, more consistently over this run than Jones or anyone else from uh, from deep and uh, elsewhere on the court on the offensive end. Uh, so, uh, there, there's just there's a lot of sharpshooters on this team, and it doesn't, uh, it is a good observation that, you know, well, where is Sam Jones? But you could, I mean, you could say where is, and then fill in the blank, you could say where is Jackson Donahue for a lot of games other than the Saturday night game. Uh, it, it's always it's always somebody else. I think that's partly because of the personnel. It's partly because of the design of the offense. Uh, but uh, I think the you know prior to Penn's uh, getting back into the Ivy race, you know it was sharpshooter by committee. But no one no one was on the committee. It seemed no one was stepping up. At least it's been somebody different every night. Um, you know, but but. Yeah, the minutes uh, the minutes have been been up and down for Sam Jones, um, and the production has been dating back to the Jerome Allen era. He got a he got nicked up on Saturday. I remember he was in for a couple minutes, like two three minutes. Then he went 
back with the trainer, and he was on the bench the rest of the night. I can't remember what exactly he was favoring. But right, he's he's always had he's he's, he's he's he has an injury history of injuries that has contributed and it should be noted has contributed to that uh, to the up and down production absolutely. Yeah, and, the other, and the other thing is that he's never really filled out into his body. I think the way that the program envisioned him, like he ha- he has filled out, like he's definitely bulked up since he was a freshman. Yeah, but it's still covering the team. We're in this era of speed now, though. You don't need to be big. Look at Steve Cook. He's wiry, baby. Tell that, tell that to Connor Voss. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I mean, admittedly, we can't, uh, we can't yeah, all Columbia. be we can't all be Connor Ross, Peter. Columbia's actual big guy is you know shaped roughly like a pencil, and it seems to work for him. So, um, yeah, yeah, true. So big game and big game in Levian last weekend, and now. It sets up for one hell of a weekend coming up. Two big games for both Penn and Columbia. Penn uh, uh, at Dartmouth and oh, sorry, hosting Dartmouth and then hosting Harvard. Columbia on the road to Brown and on the road to Yale. Still an outside chance that Yale could fall out of the tournament if different things break right. There's also weird scenarios where the results of games between you know Cornell and Brown uh, come into play. I did get a, we got a question from a listener, Luke Benz, who was on the program a couple weeks ago, asking. What the panel thinks of the Ivy tiebreak system? If there's a, you know, that sort of came up this week that the, the ties will be broken all the way down before switching over to the, to the rankings. So, uh, I guess the question of the panel is: Does this seem fair to all of you? The way that they're going to break these ties, and and um, how, what is what are we looking at heading into this weekend? I thought it was it was hilarious that the Ivy message room traffic just exploded when Mike James reported uh, that he had requested a clarification uh, of the tiebreak system, uh, and it indicated that tiebreakers would be determined right down to the th- through the eighth-place team rather than just the teams that made the tournament. Uh, there, there were calls to get the lawyers involved. <laughs> and it's, it's rather funny uh, to, to see how things might unfold and uh, a game between Cornell and Brown could could be decisive. I doubt that it's going to get to that point. Uh, I think it's amazing to think that if Cornell who uh, has played very well very frequently this season without a lot to show for it can go on the road at Yale. Uh, If Yale loses two games uh, they could very well fall out of the tournament regardless of tiebreakers. Uh, that's just fascinating to me. I, I doubt that that will happen, and I doubt that. Uh, I think the kids are going to settle it on the floor this weekend, and I think the most likely scenario puts. Uh, sorry, Peter, but I think it puts uh, Penn in in the tournament because they're going to play at home. One of these days, you all will give some respect for Columbia. I don't know when it'll be, but it'll happen. <laughs> Hey, well, I love Columbia. Maybe, I, maybe I, I, if they beat Princeton sometime, we'll give them some, listen, some respect. That... I think Columbia. <laughs> I think Columbia is a better team than Penn. Like, like flat out, they are. But I think this is really unfortunate because it's really hard to win at Yale. It just is. I mean, Mitch Henderson got his first win at Yale this year. So you compare that to a team that's kind of on the rise, playing at home. I think George has a good point. It's just unfortunate. 
But Columbia, I mean, I thought that they were going to be in from from day one and potentially be second or third. It's actually shocking to me that that it's come down to Penn and Columbia to this point in the season. I thought they'd already be in. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's one of the reasons why Penn is in the situation it is, is because it was able to steal one in very impressive fashion uh, at John J. Lee. Um, you know, I think that I, I thought coming into the season that the rosters were pretty equal. I wouldn't have put uh, Penn really uh, too far ahead of Columbia, but neither Columbia too far ahead of Penn. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, you look at the the age of the rosters, you look at where the programs are respectively year two and year one. I mean, it's kind of a, kind of a similar field there. Uh, but getting back to the tiebreakers, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's ridiculous that it, it, and I you know, said this in the Ivy Weekend Roundup on the site, I think it's ridiculous that it had to come to the final weekend of the season until we got proper clarification of what the full implications of the tiebreakers are. Um, you know, I, and, and it's, it's disappointing that it had to be, uh, it, it actually had to be coaxed out of the league by Michael James in the first place. Uh, you know, I think, and on one hand, it's it's you know it's the job of the media, so to speak, and and the Ivy uh, onlookers uh, to to hold the league, you know, quote unquote, accountable as if this were actually like a super important thing anyway. But but uh, to to not have that uh, clarification until the final weekend, when it was clear that Penn and Columbia would would likely be in this situation. I mean, can I can I hop in here? Yeah, Why not right ahead, have, if, if you have a two-team tie for fourth, right? Yeah. Why not have a one-game playoff that Wednesday? It's a dead week anyway. Add more games. Add more excitement. If you're pro-tournament, you have to be pro-tiebreaker game, right? It's just more products. It's more stuff to sell. It's more excitement. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's been a, no, that's that's been a, a great point. Solution. If those, if you get two teams tied for the fourth uh, spot, where do they play that one game playoff? This is my thing. You 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 draw a line between the two schools. You pick a place in between <laughs> it, and you play there, either an Ivy League gym or Mohegan Sun. So that way, people want to go wanna, somewhere. I want to see the, the, the Penn Columbia playoff at Jadwin would be really something. <laughs> I do want to see that. That's what I actually want to see. Like if it's Penn. Dartmouth, you play at Yale or you play at Harvard because it's the most fair for both teams. You don't have a travel advantage. You don't have an advantage for your fans traveling. The fact that Penn could potentially play the, the tournament at home is insane. That's crazy talk. Not just this year, but if they play it every year at the Palestra, I mean, what kind of advantage is that for them? Well, and it's also a geographical disadvantage for the for the Dartmouths uh, and Harvard yeah. of the league. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's and that's obviously something, but but you look at that, you look at that, you look at the location, you look at the tiebreakers not being clear to begin with. Uh, there was just, it, you can tell it's year one. I mean, there's going to be a lot of retooling and rethinking uh, that that needs to be done because it was not ultimately rolled out nearly uh, the optimal way it, it could have been uh, and likely should have been since it's something that the league, I'm sure, has been. Uh, contemplating for a while, it's it's easy to it's easy to throw criticism, at, but I think they're merited when we've got so much confusion going into 
the final weekend, and it's and it's detracting from what the storyline should be. It's just, well, I think it's I think it's detracting from Princeton's run. I think it's detracting from uh, the solid first year that Columbia's had under Jim Engels, the run that uh, Penn has had, which has kind of had that um, you know malaise of oh it's it, but it, but what about them playing at the Palestra over it? You know when when you don't let when you don't let merit dictate how you decide tournament structure, uh, these are you know as Ian would say these are the bugaboos that you run into. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. none of these are none of these are new issues. And I'll go back to the America East, where we we're just talking about Vermont. I mean, for years, America East fans, Stony Brook fans, they were complaining about the fact that Albany, for years, would have a baked-in advantage because they would play every tournament game up at the Times up at the Times Union Center. It was a huge advantage for them. But I mean, well, just there's also that for for the metro schools. That's the best physical venue in terms of maximum fan appeal, in terms of being in a metro area to play the games. And that, in a sense, is almost where we're at here in that the Palestra has so much history. It's also, as far as I know, I think it's, I think it's best in terms of capacity. And there's such a, such a branding recognition that, in terms of just marketing, it would be shooting yourself in the foot if you're in the Ivy League and you don't have the tournament here at least in the first year so well the other thing is is it's not new maybe maybe this will be a uh put some pressure on some of the schools whose facilities are less impressive than the palestra to upgrade like if you think about who could handle the volume of an ivy league tournament you could do it at jadwin you could maybe do it at yale but some of the other schools like even jadwin they need seats in every seat they can't just have bleachers like there's there's details that maybe everyone in the league will step their game up in the next 10 years where everybody will have a Palestra-type, two-scale arena-type of situation where then it can actually go realistically from site to site. That, that, would, be a good, that would be a good incentive to, to bake into the process, certainly. I, I'm a little skeptical that, that uh, you know, you're going to see the Dartmouths of the league maybe pony up. I mean, you got a, what, a 2,100 seat capacity there. And, and ultimately, you know, you've got other priorities within athletics departments and, and other priorities within hey, schools. I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys who went to Dartmouth work at hedge funds. You know what I'm saying? It just takes, well, money. Just, pony yeah, up. It's, it's, <laughs> well, it's, maybe somebody will, but, but it's definitely a process that's going to take time in the meantime. I mean, I would love to. I would love for Dartmouth to host a tournament one day. And you know, you've got a lot of longtime Dartmouth basketball fans up there in Hanover who have suffered for so many years and decades. I mean, it would be awesome to see them, even in, even now at Lead Arena, you know, to to host a, a very intimate kind of atmosphere there. Or Levy and Columbia fans. Uh, I think I if think Columbia could, ever gets enough. In- I don't think you could do it in Dartmouth because you know one of the prerequisites of the tournament is that it should be on TV, and I'm pretty sure that uh, Hanover doesn't have electricity, so it'll be a challenge for <laughs> the. Well, not only that, but there are, there are there are only 20 hotel rooms in in Hanover. I don't. You're just not going there. I mean, if you want to if you want to play the speculation game, the place you could have it if you want a true neutral site would be the Nassau Coliseum after it gets redeveloped. Because you'd have it in the New York metro area, it would be the probably the best you can get in terms of travel for everywhere. 
all the alumni ba- you have a big alumni base for every school in New York, and the capacity it's only around I think thirteen thousand for basketball once the renovations are complete. So it's not like you're going to be the A10 tournament where you're playing to a half full Barclays Center every night. It seems like if they wanted to go neutral, that'd be a good compromise site. Yeah, and it depends on what I you think- want to accomplish. I mean, if you if you want an open carnival carnival atmosphere, you're going to be, and, and that's what the league wants. So you definitely will be turned off by the Hanover Hotel situation and whatnot. But you know, if you if you want to reward the schools, then that's the obvious route to to go with. Ultimately, though, they're going to go, they're going to look at what Ian just said, or they're going to look at either you know uh, putting some cool. of these gyms on steroids or. Or, uh, or or ultimately coming to a neutral site because I think or why not the, the, the Palestra blowback champion. has been too much. I mean, why not reward the champion? You win the regular season, it's the ultimate carrot. Now you get the host of the tournament. You get a huge advantage. Right. So it satisfies traditionalists or it satisfies the guys who won a tournament. You go out there, you do work over 14 games, here's your reward. You're hosting. And it, right. it does not seem so insanely com- it does not seem so insanely complicated that you know you could not do that. These are schools that are near each other that, with the a couple notable exceptions, have adequate facilities to to host a tournament. Uh, it seems like that's the thing to do. Um, let look me... at uh, look at before you leave this topic, Peter. Let me just throw this out there. Uh, Robin Harris did an interview at the Palestra. Uh, I think yesterday, and Jonathan Tannenwald reported on it. Uh, and one of the issues we have not touched on in this discussion, uh, which has been a focus of the tournament committee, is to bring the men's tournament and the women's tournament together. Uh, as long as that's a priority for running the tournament, that's going to limit, it seems to me, the uh, the options as far as a venue is concerned. If it's not the palestra. If it's not the palestra, it's going to be a neutral site, and Ian Winnick has just uh, suggested as good a neutral site as you could possibly have in uh, in metropolitan New York. It, yeah, uh, and I and, think and next year's site to next year's site has not been determined. It will be, according to Miss Harris, it will be determined by a vote of the athletic directors in May. Uh, and I'll, I, it, to go back to the palestra, will certainly depend on what happens this year. Yeah, and I want to talk about what's going to happen this year um, because we have Noah on the show, who's going to be a big part of the ILDN coverage uh, of the tournament. So why don't you... I I don't even know where to start. What is it about the ILDN coverage that you think we should know about? Everything. So people go, okay, you're doing the games. No, ESPN has the games. So for both the women's and men's on Friday, we're doing coverage starting in the morning. As soon as teams hit the court for shoot-around, we have coverage all the way through for all the women's shoot-arounds and all the men's shoot-arounds. And that's going to basically be an in-depth dive into each team in terms of scouting reports, storyline, et cetera. We have really good features, um, you know, different stories throughout the season about players doing different academic and volunteer work. And then – during the uh, during the day of the tournament, we have a pregame show. We're going to go throw it right to ESPN. The games will be on ESPN, one of the ESPN platforms. As soon as the game's over, we're going to get back on the air and do a recap and lead into the next set of games. So that's for Saturday and Sunday. So basically, if you're a basketball junkie like we are, 
you can sit by your computer, watch our coverage. As soon as the game goes on, go to ESPN, go back to us on Ivy League Digital Network, and then go back to the games throughout the whole day. So this Tom, how about interviews? What's that? How about right. interviews on so, Friday? Are you going to talk to anybody? We are. We, we have um, – during each shoot-around, we're going to get the head coach and one player at the end. And then in between the shoot-arounds, we're going to get a certain number of guests who might be athletic directors or people from the league office or notable alumni, but those are more up in the air. But we're definitely getting a player and a coach from each team. Well, I think <laughs> the, the, getting the, 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 the IHO representative are... down there. What's that? Who? IHO. The IHO representative. Hello? Yeah, who the hell is that? You? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will be yeah, on I mean, site. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. Uh, I do not know why there was not an invitation to have a a sort of on the vine segment. Uh, you know, I think we could have <laughs> filled an hour pretty easily. But you know, I understand that the league the league is not a fan, but that's fine. Um, All you got to do is linger around the set, and you might get pulled in. It's like we are totally figuring out stuff. Um, you know, it's the first time we're ever doing this coverage, so a lot of it's going to be, you know, figure it out and, and go for it. So I would say, you know, go down to the palestra, hang out, and see what happens. Well, that's not, you know, some of us live in California, so that's easier said than done. Uh, can I ask, uh, so you mentioned the set um, so I want to ask whether a custom sort of set has been built. Yeah. And also, uh, yeah. is this, so the shoot-arounds and stuff, are they taking place in the palestra? Uh, and then the third and final question is, um, for people who do not have an ILDN sort of regular monthly subscription, uh, is all of this covered? Is there a special tournament package? How are we going to watch this? You need, listen, first, first question is, there is a set. So it's going to be like a college game day type set that says Ivy League on the front of it. We're going to have headsets on because it's going to be very loud in there. It's a palestra, the acoustics are, you know, whatever they are. And then we're going to be rocking some Ivy League polos on the shoot-around day. And then on game days, we're going to be in suits and more formal. So it'll almost be like when the NFL covers the Combine or when uh, the NBA covers Summer League for Friday. Second question was, I don't remember, but for Ivy League Digital Network subscription, just get the subscription. A month is, what, 8 bucks. So it's not a special package, but if, if you don't have a subscription, just get one because it'll be worth it just for that weekend. Right? What's the what's the price? I think it's like eight bucks a month. Let me look that up. Yeah, I mean you're gonna have to do a better sell than just it's cheap because uh, you know I want to. Sometimes I want to eat a burrito, and a burrito costs eight dollars. You know. Um, Let's look at this package selection. It does sound like uh, oh my god, really? It's much more than I thought it was. It's fifteen ninety five a month. <laughs> That's just two, two, two burritos. Day. It's two burritos. It's two burritos a month. <laughs> yeah, man. I gotta, you know, I. You know, when you live out in California, you need to have your burrito money uh, all the time because that's all we eat out here. Come on, you. Um, you're getting this. This is worth like fifty an hour. Come on. <laughs> 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 so can you give us a sense of uh just in terms of I don't I don't like to use the word talent but uh but other than yourself who else is going to be sort of hopping on the coverage uh in terms of media people Yes um so Bill Spalding is hosting is uh is is basically our anchor so he's he's got the hardest job in the entire you know situation because he's anchoring both the men's and the women's coverage um 
we have Megan Perry is going to be our women's analyst. So I'm the men's analyst. And then we have Megan O'Brien who does the big East. She does Ivy league digital network. She's our sideline reporter. So it'll be, um, you know, Bill kind of anchoring the whole thing. And then I'll be sliding in and out depending if it's a women, women's program, uh, shoot around or a men's. And then, you know, the two Megan's will be, uh, kind of doing, doing their thing as well. So Bill Spaulding, by the way, has done like the Olympics. He's done uh, some pretty big time stuff. So I think he's going to be really great. Look, the Olympics are, they're all well and good, but they're nothing compared to the inaugural Ivy League <laughs> tournament. Um, brought I to agree. You by, I don't know, Crisco or something. All right. Well, I think that's really exciting. So that's the plug. You know, one thing to keep in mind, because we want to move on to our sort of wrap up part here. Um, Ivy on the right. vine as a podcast is not sponsored by the Ivy League is not affiliated with the Ivy League in any way, but so the ILDN, they do great stuff. The it's 16 bucks a month. So, you know, depends on how much you want to value it, but it is, it is going to be a really cool uh, thing to sort of see the Ivy League get this uh, really high quality media treatment. And uh, so in exchange for saying right now that you should all go buy it, uh, we're expecting that whoever from on the vine is in town. That's George will be featured guests <laughs> on this program. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't make any uh, of those decisions, but I'll do my best. And, uh, you know, once again, I think like this is this is kind of a, a chance for Ivy League basketball to even step further into the national spotlight. And we've seen it over the last five to 10 years really step up with so many wins in the tournament, with everything Tommy Amaker has done at Harvard, with everything that, you know, Coach Jones has done at Yale. Of course, Princeton and Penn have been traditionally great. And this is just another way that the Ivy League is doing a great job putting together unbelievable coverage so that, you know, not only fans like us can enjoy it, but the the larger basketball fan at large. All right. So running out of time on the show, as we always are. So let's get to this weekend. Uh, we're going to go around the table and I want everyone to just tell me at the end of the weekend what the Ivy League, who the four teams that make the tournament will be in order and sort of uh, what you think the biggest factor is in, in, in shaking out the weekend the way it is. So I'm going to just keep talking for a second to let you guys think. Uh, this is one of the jobs of the, the anchor. Um, I'm auditioning for next year's uh, ILDN uh, thing at March Madness, in case you hadn't noticed. One of the jobs of the anchor is to <laughs> keep talking uh, just sort of randomly to make sure that your panelists have enough time to generate some really good quality hot takes. All right. I think that's been enough time. Uh, so remember, top four teams, why you think it'll be that way. Let's start with Ian. So I'm going to go, probably the most co- most likely scenario is going to be Princeton, Harvard, Yale, and then I have Penn taking the fourth spot. And for me, the biggest factor is going to be Penn's ability to shoot three-pointers. So you look at the game against Columbia on Saturday night. They started off horrifically offensively. And the only reason they were even able to build a lead or stay in that game in the first place was that Jackson Donahue got hot in the first half and hit four threes. And so I want to see this weekend if it might not be Donahue, but if someone on Penn can generate that kind of offense long range and whether their offense will coalesce around someone like that, whether it's Donahue, whether it's Matt Howard, whether A.J. Broders has taken a, take a couple take a couple more threes than usual. Who's going to be Penn's leader 
on the outside. That's going to be the biggest thing I'm going to be looking at this weekend. Let's go Mike Tony next. Uh, I would have to go, I would have to stick with what I had predicted and I think the season wrap-up on the vine from last year, which was Harvard and Yale as the uh, two and the three and Princeton and Penn as the one and the four. Get those get those rivalries in there uh, in the inaugural tourney. I, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, with Harvard looking ahead to the Ivy League tournament, perhaps the tournament final, uh, maybe even uh, NCAA matchup. Uh, looking at Harvard, uh, which you know has gotten the, the short shrift in the show, unfortunately, so much to cover. What what's their turnover count? Because it was it was eight assists versus seventeen turnovers the last time they played Princeton. And it was really the the reason why they let a game that they should have won get away. Uh, and I'd like to see, especially with the backcourt, how they handle uh, this awesome Tigers defense uh, at at Jadwin. Uh, with, with the stakes maybe not being as high as they would be in, a, in uh, previous years, but still really high because, as Noah said, you know you, you don't want to uh, you want to keep it rolling going into the tourney. So I want to see I want to see how uh, uh, how Harvard's ball movement and, and ball control is. That's what I, that's what intrigues me most, frankly, going into this uh, uh, going into the weekend because Harvard is a fascinating fascinating roster. All right, Mister Toothless Tiger. Now, Harvard is a deep and very talented roster. If, on the other side of things, if uh, if Princeton had shot the ball very well in uh, Cambridge, uh, that game would not have been close. Ken Palm has it, uh, an eight-point differential tomorrow night, I, and I'm not sure what the line is. We won't know that until tomorrow, but uh, the way this defense is playing... Uh, I'm looking for a, a pretty big night tomorrow. Now, your question was, who makes the field? I'm going to throw a wacky, wild projection here. I'm going to suggest the Columbia and Penn both win this weekend, uh, and Yale loses twice, uh, and Columbia and Penn both make the field. Then the question, I'm not sure who is four and who is three under that scenario, but it raises the delicious prospect that, Penn and Columbia could be playing next Sunday for the Ivy League championship in the Palestra. Uh, I'm not going to predict that, uh, but I think it, uh, it it's it's uh, if not probable, it's certainly possible that Penn and Columbia both make the tournament. Yale is not playing well right now, and uh, Columbia and Cornell have uh, every incentive to go up there and beat them. Not not even I think that the concept of Columbia playing Penn for the championship is delicious, George. I just want to just want to say that. <laughs> not even you, Peter. <laughs> not not even I. Well, it's a, it's certainly an interesting take, and uh, you know Yale, uh, who I I think mistakenly had said a couple weeks ago that they had clinched their spot, uh, has not done so, and so they got something to play for this weekend too. Noah, what do you think is the uh, is going to happen? All right, I'm going to give you a couple predictions and then my pick for the four who are in. Number one, Evan Brudreau has a huge weekend this weekend as Penn will drop two, Harvard will destroy Penn, Bryce Aiken will win Rookie of the Year, and Princeton will have three first-team All-Ivy League performers. So it's going to be Princeton, Harvard, Yale, 
and Columbia will get the fourth bid. Mike Smith will be huge in two wins on the road. I like this guy a lot. We got to have him on the show more. <laughs> um, now, I wrote all those yeah, down I, so that when I'm wrong, I can show it to you guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's good. I you know I appreciate the professional preparation, um, and I'm I'm also glad you know I've been on the Mike Smith bandwagon for weeks. Um, everyone should check out Columbia Spectator wrote a great piece today about Mike Smith's entry into the into the league and and how he's sort of overcome the fact that his the coach who recruited him uh you know left right i didn't actually know this mike smith briefly reopened his recruiting uh and uh, jim engels had a three-hour phone conversation in which he convinced mike smith to stay probably the best thing engels has done as columbia's coach so far because he's been great uh, well, at, can at i say time. something jim engels yeah. is nominal he's so seasoned, he's so smart, and he's really humble and really thoughtful. And what he's done with players who he inherited has been unbelievable this year. Yeah, not easy to, to do. see what he does. Get enough credit for that. And he's going to have uh, his own guys at the first time next year, which you know, next year is a different story. My prediction: Look, uh, I I think I think it would be a travesty if Penn makes the tournament, and so I think they probably will um, because that's kind of the way things have been going. Uh, but I always make predictions based on my heart of hearts and not and not based on what is is most likely to happen. So I think it'll be uh, Harvard, Yale, uh, sorry, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, and then Columbia uh, sneaking in at the end. I think Columbia beats Brown. I do not think they beat Yale, and I think that um, Penn beats Dartmouth. But Harvard, uh, I Harvard has been doing me so wrong for so many years that I think that maybe just maybe. This weekend they'll they'll do something right for a change. Uh, so there you have it. It's going to be a crazy weekend. Uh, just absolutely bonkers. And we all yep, have yep. the magic of tiebreakers and tournaments to thank for that. So I think that'll do it for this episode of On the Vine. Uh, you know we're 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 at the stage of the year where every episode is fifty plus minutes long. And uh, if you if you listen to this, thank you for listening. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a fun show. I want to thank specifically Noah Savage uh, for coming on the show. Noah, where can people find your stuff on uh, on Twitter? And then and then just one more time, uh, when will you be on so, for ILDN? Friday morning, I believe we're going on at 8.55 a.m. We'll be on all day Friday. We'll be on on Saturday about half an hour before the tip-off, I believe. Ugh, that might be wrong. Log on to Ivy League Digital Network. My Twitter is yo, it's the Sav. And you can find my new sports comedy podcast that I do with my wife, who's a Harvard grad and a comedian named Alyssa Wolf. And it's called Sports and Pork, available on SoundCloud. Wow. Let's check that out. Right. We will definitely <laughs> check that out. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Special thank you to uh, Ian Wenick making his first appearance on The Vine. What is your Twitter situation, Ian? Thank you for having me on. My uh, Twitter handle is R-U-N underscore I-M-W. All right. Well, thanks very much. Uh, thank you to the Toothless Tiger himself, George Clark, for once again coming on the show. Uh, George, have a nice weekend.
Well, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I want to say a special thanks to Noah Savage for being here. I've uh, enjoyed his work, not only as a broadcaster, but when he was a player. Uh, and I am fortunate to say that I have met his wife, and she, they were married, incidentally, about two months ago. So uh, she's a delightful young lady. Uh, and uh, Noah, I hope you have a great tournament. I'll be looking forward to hooking up with you in Philadelphia. All right, absolutely, and thanks for having me on, guys. And one more thing, I've already taken the first two days of the NCAA tournament off of work. If Princeton loses, <laughs> I'm flying somewhere tropical and, you know, forgetting everything. If they win, I'm going <laughs> to the game to cover the game. So either way, I'll be okay, I think. Well, you know what they, uh, you know what they always say, uh, after you get married, you should wait no more than three months to start a podcast with your wife. So uh, <laughs> good to start fulfilling that that prophecy right away. And thank you as always to thank you as always to my co-host Mike Tony. Uh, Mike and I have had an unusually antagonistic relationship these past couple weeks due to the Penn Columbia thing. Which by by next week it'll all be sorted out and we can get back to having a typically antagonistic relationship. So thanks, Mike. <laughs> it's always antagonistic, and don't worry. I'll be I'll be happy to write you a worthless recommendation if you ever want to apply for ILDN broadcaster. Well, I guess thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. I've yeah. been your <laughs> I've been your host, Peter <laughs> Andrews. This has been another episode of On the Vine. Everyone enjoy the basketball this weekend. We'll be back. We got some special coverage planned uh, for next week, but we don't have the details yet. So keep an eye on the IHO Twitter feed, and uh, it's exciting. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.